Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. By the time that Christ was born in Bethlehem, Herod the Great was living out the final season of an impressive political career at Jerusalem in one of his most impressive palaces. Here was a man who, though not an Israelite by heritage and only nominally Jewish, nevertheless had managed to secure the crown of, with, through a series of brilliant maneuvers and with the backing of Caesar in Rome as his tribute king in Judea. Herod had struck well-timed alliances with the famous Hasmonean dynasty, a ruling line stretching back to the glory days of the rebellion of Judas Maccabeus, the hammer who had driven out of Jerusalem its pagan invaders from the east. Herod traded on this affiliation with this legendary heritage in order to execute a slow plan to seize power. By the time his rivals were aware of his intentions, Herod destroyed the Hasmoneans murdered and exiled his rivals, and drummed up massive popular support from among the people. With the mighty Romans at his back, Herod stepped firmly into power, setting himself up as the so-called king of the Jews. During his rule, Herod was both intensely hated and begrudgingly respected. For while his life and manner revealed him as the very icon of a tyrant, while with his notorious and homicidal paranoia over any challenge to his authority, he had nevertheless gained a prominent place in the hearts and minds of his people through mainly his possession and then his reimagination of the temple, the high holy place of Israel, which became to him a sort of bargaining chip for gathering support inch by inch from the many warring religious and political factions in Jerusalem. Herod was a master builder. His rebuilding of the temple at Jerusalem was a titanic feat of ancient architecture, far surpassing even the many other temples to pagan gods that he financed in cities like Athens and Sparta. Under his rule, Jerusalem became a cosmopolitan location, recognized even by mighty Augustus Caesar. And at the center of it all was Herod, statesman, patron, and architect. And so the arrival of the Magi to the court of Herod the Great, would have been a moment of supreme validation for him. These stately wise men were likely from Babylon or Persia, where centuries earlier the Jews had been exiled. How better for Herod to snuff out the last challengers to the legitimacy of his dynasty than by receiving honor and tribute and gifts from the very people who historically had been Israel's conquerors. Now, 
Israel's mighty former enemies were coming to bow the knee to him. And at last, the sneering over his own heritage and tactics would be put down in this symbolic affirmation of his right to rule. And yet, to this icon of political power, arrayed in all his self-aggrandizing splendor, the Magi ask, where is the king who's been born? We've come to worship him. It is a moment of supreme disappointment and anti-climax for Herod. What do they mean, where is the king who's been born? Their one question sidesteps Herod's entire legacy in a single moment. Instantly, Herod and all who had put their trust in what he stands for are thrown into confusion and fear. Turning desperately to his advisors, these scribes and priests inform him that the king to whom they're referring was, by prophetic confirmation, to be born in Bethlehem, the city that had produced the legendary royal line of King David, a line which Herod did not and could not claim. In a moment, Herod watched all that he had worked for beginning to slip away. But in his moment of crisis, habit takes over. Herod does what Herod always does. He takes these magi into a private audience and begins to set about a plan to eliminate his competition. He commissions them to find this young child so that he might come and worship him as well. Anyone who knows Herod would know that this is a scheme. And perhaps that's why Herod makes this request far away from familiar ears. But the Magi agree to his terms, and they set out on the last leg of their path southward to Bethlehem to complete their journey. Upon arriving in tiny Bethlehem, the Magi would have found a city of historical value, but of little grandeur compared with mighty Jerusalem. But this was the city of David, where the prophet Samuel had anointed the unlikeliest youngest son of Jesse as the one to succeed, handsome and mighty Saul. This was the city from which would come a legendary line of kings, and at last, a final king whose reign would be everlasting. How strange to find a king in such a nondescript town after such a long and difficult journey during the worst part of the year, perplexed by strange events unfolding in Jerusalem. How strange that in this small place they should come to the end of their search. But then, look, there he is. When the Magi arrive before this humble child and his humble mother in this humble place, all of the grandeur of Jerusalem and Herod's court evaporates. They see Jesus and their journey ends. 
This is the one with whom their worship finds its true home. This is the one who evokes and receives the gold of a king, the incense of a god, the myrrh of a man who is going to die. Their journey ends, and then a new one begins. There is something in that encounter that settled these wise men. Though led there by a star, they are led out by the word of God himself. God who brought them in now sends them out in a command to bypass Herod and Jerusalem and to return to their homes another way. Epiphany means to reveal. This season of Epiphany invites us to seek him along the paths by which God has revealed himself to us. God does not show himself in the strained and vulgar spectacle of Herod's palace, but rather in the steady and long-suffering voices of nature, of wisdom, of scripture, and ultimately in the fullness of the person of Jesus. Today's gospel lesson brings us with the Magi to see these two kings in Judea, and behind them, two powers. One manifests the height of political craft, expedience, and the mastery of coercion. The other shows forth the presence and character of a true and benevolent divinity entering the world in its unrelenting calmness that only attends the unshakable authenticity of actual real power. The worship of God through Christ is the end of this understanding, the end of understanding the difference between these two powers. Before him, all politics and pretensions are burned away. And we receive the vision of God in a holy smallness that gives way to an unending grandeur. Once we have seen King Jesus, we can no longer bow the knee to Herod. The epiphany of Christ means that we and the world around us are forever changed. Once we have worshipped before Jesus, God and man, Lord and Savior. We can never return to life as it was before. And if we do go back to what we once called home, we will go back another way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.